give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Hey everybody, welcome to Metallicast, the Metallica podcast. I'm your host and fellow Metallica fan. My name is Brandon. This is part five. We are already at the halfway point of Metallicast Black Summer, my weekly chronological track-by-track breakdown of the classic Black album. And I am joined by a first-time guest on Metallicast. Um, unfortunately, he is somebody I've known for a very long time uh, in my personal life. Um, he is also the co-host of a really mediocre podcast on fansonexperts.com all about black metal called the corpse paint podcast um him and another loser just talk about black metal and extreme metal and play some stupid david elveson drinking game and it's available on apple Podcasts and google and everywhere else you get your shows and it's really crappy but you should probably check it out and rate it five stars and subscribe and download and anyways um I definitely, wink, wink, do not have anything to do with that. But anyways, um, Greg, welcome to the show, buddy. Well, hello there. Thank you for having me. I've listened to parts of a couple episodes, and I'm excited to be here. (laughs) You know what I am listening to? That fucking dog. If that dog is not named after a band member of Metallica, get the fuck out out of this episode all right hang on let me get chris broderick out of the room (laughs) (laughs) i figured your dog was named after one of the 500 megadeth guitars with that megadeth t-shirt that you are rocking tonight hey you know listen dave mustaine is a founding member of metallica and he needs to be heard. This, <laughs> the silencing needs to come to an end. And he needs a chance to speak about his place in Metallica history. And I hope we can do that today. Probably not. Because, <laughs> you know. He is um, a founding father of Metallica who was quickly shown the door. <laughs> <laughs> Got a quick little kick in the ass. Yeah. He's probably the first one in, first one out, you know? (laughs) (laughs) All right, see ya. (laughs) But, I mean, it's still nice that he's contributing to every Metallica album that's come out. Uh, Hardwire Self-Destruct is about 95% his riffs, 5% Mm -hmm. James Hatfield, 0% Kirk Hammond input. Um but basically, I'm starting to think that Kirk Hammond is actually um, a ghostwriting name for Dave Mustaine. Yeah. And the person who plays Kirk Hammond on stage is merely an actor playing a part. Um, and Dave Mustaine's just under the stage, like playing the actual guitar parts. Do you ever see The Prestige? Where, like, towards the end, he's got a, it's a magician's and he's got a double, and he, the part of the trick happens where he lands underneath the stage. And then the fake guy up on top is getting all the cheers. That's yeah. what happens to Dave every single night. He's just under the stage <laughs> hearing, hearing Kirk Hammett get all of his applause. And he is brokenhearted. Uh, you know what's ironic? Dave Mustaine is the David Ellison of Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know how that works, but it does. It does. Not, it works. Yeah. For uh, those of you who do not know, which is all of you listening, because uh, <laughs> none of you know our friendship, but yeah. basically our friendship is built on three things. Metal, yes. making fun of Dave Mustaine and David Elson, and making fun of Glenn Danzig. <laughs> I was just about to throw that in there. Make sure you caught it. We are, um, <laughs> let me know, we are fans of Megadeth. Greg is actually mm-hmm. wearing a Peace Sells But Who's Buying t-shirt right now. We are fans of the band. We are fans of uh, Glenn Danzig, you know, Misfits. I did a whole episode mm-hmm. on them. Uh, yep. But, you know, they are just walking uh, punching bags that deserve to be punched. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, um, it's like when you put a kick me sign on the back of somebody, but they have it like tattooed <laughs> on their personality. <laughs> uh, we love so them. We love them. We do love them. And now that we've discussed how Dave Mustaine uh, discovered Metallica. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Greg, how did you discover Metallica? Do you think back? Travel back yeah. in time. When did they get on your radar? When did you get into them? Do you remember the first song or first album or anything like that? There's, I have two dis, like early memories of Metallica that were independent of you know going back through previous albums because I kind of found them a little later on. So one, which is funny that you're doing, actually I'll do it in reverse. One of them and. Oddly enough, the song One came on at a party and it was just like quiet, you know, the clean intro and stuff. And that was really cool. But then like once it started kicking ass towards the end of the song, I was just like staring at the stereo. (laughs) What band is this? What song? I need to know what this is. I I think that was a little bit later, but no, that was early on. That was that was probably the first one. But then very shortly after which is funny that we were doing Black Summer, was Enter Sandman. Because that was like, you know, like we started getting into like middle school dances and like all (laughs) the guys would stand on a corner and then until Enter Sandman came on, then like six of my friends would just headbang in the middle of the floor (laughs) by ourselves. And it was awesome. Uh, Yeah, that's probably, those two are like really distinct early Metallica memories for me for when I figured figured them out um it was cool because they're kind of different songs too like yeah very you different. know you know you know that i'm a whenever i send you a black metal song on corpse paint podcast it's always like <laughs> blisteringly fast so it's kind of kind of funny that those two are pretty pretty uh prominent in my metallica history but they're both great in their own ways they both that's kind of the yeah. thing about metallica is they're a pretty diverse band over time, even in the early stuff. It, every album's got yeah. a different feel. And, and uh, yeah, so those are my two early experiences. Yeah, yeah no, that's true. That's I feel like every album has their own sound, but they yeah. all sound like Metallica. So, yeah. you know, and even when you just look at an album like Master Puppets, like from track to track, uh, 
you know, battery is completely different than the thing that should not be, which is completely different yeah. than Homo Sanitarium, which is completely different yep. than Orion. Like, it all fits under one genre, but they yeah. diversify themselves so much, which was always my big attraction to the band more so than um, other metal bands are out there. You know, and I love yeah. just like blistering, pummeling metal as much as the next person. Sure, but yeah. for a band that there's a, I feel like there's only a handful of bands in the genre that uh, diversify themselves in a way where you just they still remain the same signet they still keep the same signature sound without ever mm. really compromising where they started. Yeah, yeah, I've heard you know friends say like they've just listened a little bit to Metallica. Like if you just hear the singles. And just when it's on the radio, like it does sound similar, but that's any band. You know, I found that with yeah. other ones that I, you don't listen to very much. It's like, oh yeah, here's that part where they do this again. And it's that thing, cue the solo, whatever. But the more you dive into them and the more you really get to like what is going on with them, especially after you see them live, because then you realize that's where they really shine. It's like yeah. they are like born to be live. But even just diving into albums, you realize that it is, it's very, um, very unique sounds between songs and like how they build them and and how they flesh out a song it's it's very very different song to song yeah i remember when i was in college for one of my education classes i had to basically present uh a unit like a general music class unit um and it had to be it was either 30 minutes or like 45 minutes. It was like a lengthy presentation and you had yeah. to do a PowerPoint and have, you know, song examples <laughs> and this and that and everything. So I did mine on the history of heavy metal. That was the unit that I was presenting to the class. So it kind of, <laughs> of course, of, of course, course it was, of course. <laughs> and so, you know, I went through the whole history of the genre up to that point and covered all the, Typical bands you would expect to be covered from Black Sabbath to Iron Maiden to Pantera. And of course, Metallica being one of the biggest uh, focus points, not because they are my all-time favorite band, uh, but because you have to if you're talking the history of the genre. They're the biggest metal band of all time. So I gave like a little overview of their career and... Basically, I played two song clips. I played Blackened. (laughs) So people are, you know, people are like, okay, like, I get that part of Metallica. Or they were like, oh, that's heavier and faster than Inter Sandman. Yeah, right. And then um, I played a song off Load, Mama Said, which is basically a country western (laughs) ballad. Yeah, yeah. So I and there were so many people being like, "Oh my god!" Like I never knew they did something like that. Like they, yeah. And they're like, and then there were uh, a couple people who were like country western fans. They're like, "I really dig that song. I had no clue they did anything like that. Do they have any <laughs> other songs like that?" Yeah, yeah. They wanted a, a southern fried version of Metallica at the end of it. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, do you remember? since our focus here in Black Summer is the Black Album. Uh, Inter Sandman, obviously, was one of the first songs you heard. 
do you kind of, do you remember at all where you sort of stumbled when you sort of stumbled upon like that full album and gave it uh, an initial listen and what your thoughts were? Well, so what happens a lot of times with me and bands, I'll find like a song that just grabs the hell out of me, and then I go through everything. Like say, say I first heard one, then I would have taken you know, and justice for all, and just listen to that for like a month and a half straight. And then be like, okay, well, now that I've processed this whole thing, let me go back through or into different things. And so I'm sure with, because I don't really remember getting specifically into the Black album. So I'm sure it was around that like time that I heard Enter Sandman that I was just like, I have to have this album. Right. And then yeah. like listen through all of it over and over and over again. And it's funny that we're doing this song because this is another one. I think it might actually be the reason I chose it is that it stands out so much on this album. Yeah. Do we know? Yeah. Do we know what one we're doing yet? Are we announcing that or? Well, you can. <laughs> you can do the math, right? I'm going chronologically. This is yeah. part five, yeah. so we're looking at track yeah. five, which yeah. is a, a black album classic. Yeah. Um, one of the yeah. biggest songs off their biggest album, "Wherever I May Roam." That was a that was a real standout. Um, I mean, everything else sounds great. It sounds like Metallica. You know, obviously, this is like their trans. I would call this like the transition album, because yeah. everything before is like their speed metal band, straight up, and a couple slower ballads here. You know, a couple things that fuck the trend, but overall, it's just a speed metal band, pretty much. You know, right. And then this one gets real interesting. They really start to twist what they want to do, what they want to be, and not just, you know, this was the this was the borderline of long hair to no hair. This was like that hair, you know, <laughs> yeah. this like everything changed. Their image, their, you know, yeah, they, yeah, this yeah. is the, the transition period, like into Black Album, out of it. And you can tell that in the music, that they're starting to get a little, little itchy staying where they are. So... Yeah, it, this was a really cool song that I think really panned out well. Trying to get experimental, trying to add different elements, and it still keeps their vibe. It still keeps like how they go about stuff. Maybe we'll get into that more as we go on. But the overview is that it's it's like a perfect mix of old and new Metallica at that time yeah. for them. Yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah. a really cool, well done track for that reason. And I think that's why the album in general. Part of the reason why the album in general took off the way they did is it took it, it it finds a perfect balance. There's something on that album for everybody. So if you are an old school fan, you can still get into a track like Holier Than Thou. You can get into a track like The Struggle Within. Um, if you're the Never, just, you know, like yeah, Never. That's that yeah, one. Yeah. I almost wanted to do that one, and then I was like, well, no, we'll. <laughs> it, I just feel like it's really fast and I really like it I don't, no. All right. do, do a different. <laughs> but then you have you know I think it was uh, last episode I kind of described it as like you look at all the high school stereotypes there was you know all of a sudden like the quarterback of the football team was listening to it because of Inter Sandman the cheerleaders yeah. were listening to it for nothing else matters uh, the metalheads were listening to it for, you know, holier than thou, yeah. <laughs> you know, so like there is, they found a perfect balance while still keeping the same general sound and vibe, like you said, but it was yeah. just, uh, completely streamlined in this nice, with a nice little bow. And even the thrash songs were just so simplified compared to what they were doing on justice for all. Um, yeah. you know, like if you look at holier than thou, it's basically, 
uh, one riff and they just kind of yeah, do yeah. variation on that riff in like three minutes. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a lot of the songs it's like going through even this song. There's like realistically three parts to it, you know, right. Yeah. yeah. That are really that different from each other. There might be very, there's a lot of variations on those parts or, you know, yeah. changing keys or, you know, transposition kind of stuff. But essentially in a lot of this album is that way. Like I remember I was listening through your Sandman episode and it's like, it really is like one riff pretty much the whole time <laughs> and like a little variation on it. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's not a classic thing for them. That's they're very much like riff after riff after riff and how to organize all those, you know, that was Lars's big job is to how to <laughs> figure out how to fit yeah, all these parts. Right. And now it's yeah, like, yeah. we've got one part. How do we make it interesting? You know, how do we change right. it, play with it and, yeah, this... <laughs> it's interesting because like when you look at a song like uh, the Freightens of Sanity or Dyer's Eve or, you know, any basically any track off the Justice album, right? Musically yeah. complex, very progressive. You have a lot of odd time signatures. And even if it's just a straightforward, you know, 4-4 four, four song, you have... Uh, minimum of 30 riffs packed into an eight minute song. So you got to yeah, keep track yeah, of the yeah. arrangement you got. And now, like I said, now it's all right. We wrote one good riff. Let's make it into a song, different set of challenges, you know? Yeah. Like it, yeah, it's, absolutely. And justice for all is uh, a complex album from a performance standpoint. But the black album is a complex album from a songwriting standpoint, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's one of the things I respect about like, you know, certain types of pop or indie songwriters where you take three chord chord progression and make it interesting for three and a half minutes and do something else you know like yeah so many songs are written with the exact same chord progressions over and over but how you can manipulate those and keep it interesting that's a huge challenge and that's a takes a huge amount of talent to to do that album after album and and to switch up gears and do that you know they're used to a not necessarily formula but I'm sure they had a pretty standard way to how to write, and this is a definite departure. So that's it shows a lot of talent there, you know. Which is why in any career with longevity, you're going to have the hits and you're going to have the misses, right? And they yeah. were lucky enough to find an album this time around that hit the marks for most people. It was kind of yeah. like the perfect storm of things. Kind of like when they did St. Anger in 2003. It's just the perfect storm. Everybody <laughs> loved it. There were no critics. People were like, give me yeah. more of that snare sound. Um, give me yep. more of the uh, that Bob Rock production. Um, mm-hmm. I was joking the other episode. like, It's ironic that this was the first album Bob Rock produced and St. Yeah. Anger was the last because yeah. it's like the anti-black album where <laughs> yeah. they're like, we're yeah. just going to make a muddy mess of a record and you're going to yeah. fucking deal with it. <laughs> it was a, it was a storm. All right. Some would call it a shit storm, but a storm nonetheless. So <laughs> I, you were going to go there. Oh yeah. Um, I had to, I know we've talked about that a lot about some of the later stuff. That's where I fall. Black albums really where I kind of fall off a bit. I didn't, I am not a, you know, some people think loads the best album that they've put yeah. out and that might be true, but that's, just for my personal taste and where that's, this is kind of where I fall off the map. Although hardwired was awesome. We talked about that a lot. Well, I was going to say, I feel like you've circled back around a little bit because the band is sort of like they were doing thrash metal and then they were doing, 
you know, the load reload era. And then they were just, then they did St. Anger. And then there was a bunch of projects in between. that were like, all right, symphony concert, a Lou Reed record, yeah. like a bunch of like just random shit. Yeah. And now they're, <laughs> and now... forget Lulu, you know, <laughs> I said the Lou Reed record <laughs> and then they just, uh, but now they're kind of circling back around. Like Death yeah. Magnetic was definitely a throwback record for the most part. Yeah. And I now I, I, those tracks and, and parts of that, that I really liked, that was, that was like my transition back in and then yeah. hardwired. I remember seeing the uh, video for hardwired is like, blown away old school metallica song this is crazy yeah in that awesome. album and it's actually funny because hardwired to me is similar to the black album in the sense where i think it finds uh the perfect balance again but yeah. it, this time it's taking into account like everything the band did during load and reload and yeah. uh, but it's kind of taking all of that more groove oriented bluesy hard rock and mixing it back in with um you know the old school thrash sound that they brought yeah it definitely i know we've talked about it before with songs where like it's we we're very much into creative you know minds and how how to keep songs interesting and like when you combine elements how it can kind of go the way of say you're taking just for example a reggae song and a metal song and some bands will just take a literal reggae part and smash it right next to a literal metal part. <laughs> and it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't show a whole lot of creativity, but there's these yeah, other yeah. bands that can kind of fuse those things. So it sounds like yeah. it's been in a blender and that I, we really respect respect. And that's kind of what, you know, Hardwire did is they kind of took everything that they've done and threw it at a blender. And it's yeah. not just, well, here's our country song. Here's our, thrash song it's kind of we'll you know keep it dynamic throughout the album but we've kind of melded all these elements together in a, a creative good you know strong way yeah and it's fun because i love death magnetic and i was like fanboy freaking out when that album came out but in retrospect since hardwired self-destructs come out i like that album a little bit less because hardwired self-destruct i feel like just does a better job all around and it feels like a more natural record. Like when I go back, let's Death Magnetic, there are parts of it that seem like, all right, this is the band forcing like the old sound a little bit. And now, yeah. but Hardwired just seems a lot more balanced, a lot more well-rounded, a lot more dynamic, a lot more of everything in a better direction. And yeah. so fingers crossed that we do not need to wait eight more years for Dave Mustaine to write Riffs for the next record. Hey, I don't know. <laughs> Call of Takulu three could be coming out in twenty twenty eight. We don't know. Was was Call of Cthulhu two that um Megadeth song off uh what was that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what was uh, the last track off um uh, it was uh I can picture the album cover with Vic Rowlhead coming out of Dave Mustaine. It was Oh uh, The World Needs a Hero, yeah. The World Needs uh, a Hero. The last track on that was a perfect fusion if you will, since you use that word, of uh, The Call of Cthulhu and Am I Evil. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that's pretty much every Megadeth song real, all the time. It's just but this but this one is a, like yeah. literally a direct ripoff of yeah. both songs. Well, I mean, yeah. Dave Mustaine can rip off himself because he wrote part of Call 
uh, Cthulhu, but yeah, the yeah. the whole beginning is the same chord progression. It's like do 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 do, and then the the chorus is literally, uh, it's just the chorus from Am I Evil? <laughs> I would sing it for you, but you know how that song goes. It basically goes boo doo boo boo, do do do. I don't know what the words are. I'm guessing he's saying, uh, "Am I evil?" Knows. Yes, I am. I yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> my mother was a witch. <laughs> Ooh, she was born to <laughs> Oh, so Greg, you do a good right. Dave Mustaine impression. I'm working on mine. Mine's always a work in progress. I feel like you do a pretty solid one. Yeah. Do, do you? So this is a uh, throwback to part three of Black <laughs> Summer when Richard and I were talking about Hoyer than Thou. We got around to talking about how. You look at the lyrics of that song, no more yeah. the crapples out your mouth again, haven't changed, your brain is still gelatin. They're a little bit more in line with what Dave Mustaine would write than what James Hatfield would write. Yeah. So yeah. then I started yeah. picturing Mustaine singing that song. You know how Mustaine sometimes rolls his R's? Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. he would need to sing it like, no more the crapples, but he would need to roll the R on rolls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I need you to yeah. sing that line for me. As Dave was saying, no more the crapples out your mouth again. No more the crapples out your mouth again. <laughs> you gotta so get more. To you gotta get like more a, of an R roll though. Like there's songs where he's just like roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, he always does like the. He turns everything into an ooh, where it's like no more roll. <laughs> <laughs> It's the last thing you ever do. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) it was during that episode I decided, and during this episode where I have confirmed that one day I'm going to do a Metallicast episode all about Dave Mustaine. But me yeah. and whoever else is on the episode has to do the whole thing as Dave Mustaine. It's just gonna <laughs> oh, be no. like just, it's just, just gonna be like for that. <laughs> it's just gonna be like a two-hour Dave yeah. Mustaine biography discography review. But it's gonna be <laughs> Dave Mustaine doing it, and we will be Dave Mustaine. <laughs> Ooh, I was born in California. <laughs> <laughs> I went downstairs and these dudes were like, hey, man, you got any drugs? I was like, no. He's like, my name's Dude Ellison. Or you could be Dave Mustaine and I'll just do David Ellison, who I assume, (laughs) who I assume sounds like, hey, my name is David. Do you have any speedballs? If you're, he he's the most boring person alive. I I love him. He's very he seems but, very. But he nice. does. But he's like, <laughs> but he does like. But he did hard drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's like um. This is how I picture David Ellison backstage, like on the Rust and Peace tour. So uh, Dave, uh, first of all, did I show you a picture of my cat? Um. Oh yeah, I'll do a speedball. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah, I have to come down from that heroin high. Just yeah, just put the. Crack and the heroin together, yeah. Oh yeah, no, his name's uh Puss in Boots. <laughs> Do you like Puss in Boots? <laughs> it's a he's my new cat. <laughs> like yeah. just like the most boring person he's, ever. 
he's like a cat lady. He's yeah, he is a cat lady. You know that. That's a yeah. that's for sure. He's yeah. But he's a Midwesterner, so he's like a boring Midwestern dad, but also in a huge thrash metal rock band. So I just like I same thing. Like you can imagine him like when they don't get drugs and he's like, Well, I guess I'm gonna have to go through withdrawal again or something. I don't know, that's okay. <laughs> like I already stopped listening to you when you first opened the mouth and well. It's, it's like his the best quality about him. You're just like, oh, he's really nice. <laughs> say he's a talented bassist, a you know, phenomenal musical icon. Something. No, just like he seems really nice. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. All right. So before this goes completely off the rails, like uh, your podcast, Corpse Paint Podcast. We're um, we're close. You can, you can feel it, can't you? This is if we we're playing the Ellison game, this would already be off the rails. <laughs> already. <laughs> but I it, I was like, maybe I should introduce the Metallicast militia, give them a little bit of preview, and play the David Ellison drinking during this episode. I was like, no, that's a horrible idea because that's a bad idea. I, yeah. It's already taken us thirty minutes to really dive into the song. We just would have yeah. I would have recorded the whole thing gone to edit and been like wait we did not talk about the song one fucking time yeah. right, that's right it, most of it i don't know if you've noticed has been about megadeth so i'm winning it next <laughs> is how i'm gonna start sliding in black metal references where everything is emperor related and we'll just be talking about norway to finish up that'll be that'll be the uh, cherry on top <laughs> so guys i apologize i swear to god um You'll like part four where I talk about the Unforgiven because I actually talk about the song. <laughs> so wherever I may roam, it's the fifth track, fourth single off the album. Um, Greg, I do not like to brag. Um, you know, the Black Album has sold millions and millions and millions and millions of albums. Um, when I started... Uh, Black Summer, back in part one, five weeks ago, uh, mm -hmm. the Black Album was very much so still in the Billboard Top 200. Can you believe that? Yeah. But what um, happened uh, and at episode to maybe two episodes later? So, where, um... Where did, where did it go, Brandon? Where did it go? Well, it's funny you mentioned that, um... All of a sudden, for the first time in its history since 1991, <laughs> the Black Album has fallen out of the top 200. Oh, <laughs> and sales no. continue to decline week to week as I continue this oh, look no. at the Black Album. But, yeah. but, but, good news, everybody. Uh, two weeks ago, Hardware to Self-Destruct re-entered uh, the Billboard 200. Nice. Um, the, the bad thing is... Um, I mentioned it on the podcast, and now this week, uh, Metallica has zero albums in the top 200. So, well, I, I, I do not mean to brag, but I'm sort of a big deal. This podcast sort of is basically making Metallica sell millions of albums, which they never did before until I started this year and a half ago. Um, they were like a little underground thrash metal band. Oh, that's cute. That's cute. Every, <laughs> that's cute. 
oh, here comes Metallicast. All of a sudden, oh, now we're talking about one of the biggest albums of all time, uh, the Black Album. You're welcome, James. You're welcome, Lars. You're welcome, Kirk, Rob, Jason, Cliff. I'll even say you're welcome, Ron McGovney and Dave Mustaine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know why this is your fault? It's because... Every time me and your brother get together with you and we start drinking, we get into how Megadeth is way better than Metallica, and you get so pissed off that it makes us laugh harder and harder, and you always bring out the point, okay, you start clapping and pointing in our faces, and, okay, okay, what album has been on the top, Billboard Top 200 since 1991? What album? <laughs> and that's what happens. <laughs> Karma comes back around to get. Me. I have a lot more <laughs> arguments than that. Okay, you do. Megadeth that's, that's has like... never written a master of puppets. Yeah, rest in peace. Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like master better when it was rest. Wait, in wait. Where's is, my, ever, is that my brother ever, behind I, you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see a corn T-shirt. <laughs> I didn't. I don't think I kept it up for a while. I kept naming uh, Megadeth songs that I liked better. When you'd say, "What do you think about this Black Album song?" <laughs> I think I, I think I stopped. But I was gonna try to keep going through. <laughs> uh, you know what's funny is that um, you're only the second person I've had on the show who I, you know, personally know outside of the show. Um, the first one being my cousin, Mike. And I found myself the last time he was on this, me just saying, I hate you throughout the episode. And Greg, <laughs> may I just say, I hate you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You, so, know who else, you know who else was full of, full of hate? Emperor. And <laughs> we should talk about their classic album, Anthems to the Welkin at Dusk, all right? So this thing is a monster. It's classic black metal. All right, so 35 <laughs> minutes. I've not gone into one single note about this song yet. I hate you. So wherever I may roam. Yes, wherever I may roam. Wherever I may. Wherever um, I lay my head is home. A song about life on the road. Uh, they even named the tour or at least part of the Black Album tour, the, you know, the tour that lasted like three straight years. They had an yeah. evening with, they had the Wherever I May Roam tour. Um, mm -hmm. Always was a huge fan of how this song starts because it, it it completely separates itself, not only from the rest of the album, but from any other song in the catalog. As soon as you hear sure. the intro, you know, there's no mistaking, you know, it's just so unique in their catalog. Well, it's one of those creative elements I was talking about earlier that, like, they're really experimenting here. There's nothing like that, or even remotely like that, their whole discography before this. You know, it's yeah. very striking. It's very effective. It's a cool, cool opening. And uh, I went back earlier today, and I rewatched the S&M version of this. And, mm -hmm. you know, S&M is one of those shows where... Uh, Whenever a song comes on shuffle, I love it. Uh, there's a handful of arrangements on it I really like that I go back to regularly. But Wherever I May Roam uh, is one of those S&M tracks that I just have not listened to in a moment. And I mm -hmm. went back, revisited today. Very underrated arrangement version yeah. of it. I think it's going to move up a little bit in my rankings, perhaps. Uh, but what was really cool about the reason I'm mentioning is because 
the only time Metallica did the electric sitar beginning live on stage. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So when you see them on, you know, if you were to go see them on the worldwide tour now and they play the song, you know, they're going to play the beginning, but it's going to be a tape over the speaker. And then you're just right. going to hear Lars goes, you know, but um, yeah, it was, it's completely done live. Um, Kirk with the electric guitar of the game. So that's a really cool part of yeah, uh, that version of it. Yeah. Um, now, when you're listening to this song, there's this very deep sound in the background. It sounds like uh, almost gongish. It's like a deep crack. Yeah. I'm going to give you a guess. Maybe I've said it before in the past. Or maybe you know. I'm going to give you a guess. What do you think is making that sound? And it's not a trick question. It is an instrument. I it's think... not like James bashing on a truck or something random. It's an instrument. <laughs> well, I was going to make a joke and say that it was Dave Mustaine trying to get in the studio doors. But... <laughs> Ooh, guys, uh... I really like that riff I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know. I'm going to make a wild guess and say like a detuned timpani or something like that. It sounds like it should be like a detuned timpani, actually. I think that was the effect they were going for, but it's actually a 12-string bass. That's well, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Which I well, would have... It might be uh, 12-string bass. I think there's another band I know of that plays that, but it's like, you play it, it's like a guitar. It's not like not yeah. like how you take a seven-string guitar and it starts getting bigger and fatter and wider. Sometimes yeah, they have yeah, twelve-string yeah. basses that are like a guitar. I wonder if that's just kind of what they're messing with. Yeah, so hmm. it, it goes hmm. back to sort of the experimentation you're talking about, where you yeah. know, if you were to watch, uh, have you seen, have you ever seen the documentary "Year and a Half in the Life of the Old One"? It's like part one is all about the recording of the Black Album. And then part yeah, two is all have. about the yeah. touring of the black. It's a great documentary because it's such like a, I've talked about a bunch already on this uh, well, series, but it's such a great. I mean, you're one of my best friends. So I'm sure you've subjected it to me. At some <laughs> <point>. <laughs> well, seeing how every conversation I have, I yeah. mentioned something to do with Metallica. Chances are, uh, if, yeah. if, if at no other time, when we were in the dorms and we were hammered, oh yeah, I was yeah. probably like, "Hey, did you ever see them record wherever I may roam?" <laughs> Click. And I, yeah, and I'm like, "No, I've never seen that. I watched it last night, literally, and had and then, no idea, no memory." And then six hours later, we're like, "That yeah, was awesome." <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it, I mentioned because. Uh, you know, they show them sort of, they walk into the recording studio one day and uh, Bob Rock has sort of laid out all these various like percussion instruments that the band would not have touched in a million years on the yeah. first four albums, you know, but just like little things like that where it, it, the whole, the whole time Bob Rock is pushing them out of their comfort level, whether it was with, uh, you know, James's vocals, like I talked a lot about on the Unforgiven episode or yeah. trying with different percussion instruments. So I think, them having like a 12 string bass was probably just something that they were fucking around with and like, Oh yeah, that was a really cool sound. And they just had that one note 
yeah. <laughs> in the back. Yeah, I mean, if but, that's what sets the mood right, then go for it. You know, that must have been yeah. the the lucky strike there. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not, <laughs> and it's not anything they've ever tried to duplicate live. It's like purely for the studio element yeah. of it. Um, but it's funny because you know, speaking of uh, bass. Uh, when I was listening back to the song again today, I mean, I've heard the song a million and one times. I've heard all these songs yeah. of Black a million and one times, but it's nice yeah. doing a series like this where I kind of try my best to go into it with fresh ears. And so I was listening to it with headphones and I was honestly really taken aback at how great like the production of that song is. It's just like yeah. a perfectly missed track. And the <laughs> bass is just sound and it's such a rich deep sound in the background Lars's yeah. drums are just sound so full and bright and heavy and in your face the guitars are like a wall of sound the vocals are like everything's just a perfectly mixed uh you can say about the whole album but for some reason when i was listening to this song today it just really yeah. stood out to me even more so well, it's funny. I literally i did the same thing today i listened to it a couple times and i that was one point i i thought too was like Going from Injustice, which is just like gray colored guitars and zero bass, and the drums are even super, you know, thin comparatively. Yeah. And then going into this and how like rich and deep, and you can hear so much bass, and I didn't care for it. (laughs) 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 We got to get Jason out of there. You know, no, no, it is, it's like completely striking from one album to the next. How there's so much intensity behind all the instruments. You know, it's not a snare hit is not just like a, a quick pop and that's it. Like it resonates and it is got all kinds of depth to it. And they found a, I don't know how, <laughs> you know, professional expert engineers, I guess that's probably how, but everything is sat so well in the mix that yeah, even though you've got some thundering deep guitars, it doesn't overlap with anything and every, you know, all these different instruments and parts have just like are seated in the perfect spot so they can all be heard distinctly and they're all so rich. It's really crazy. It's a beautifully produced album. And yeah, yeah. like you said, this song in particular. Yeah. And I just, and you can hear the dynamics from, you know, the sitar introduction mm-hmm. and when Lars's snare hits after that, the yeah. do, 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 it just like, is this, thundering sound it like yeah. comes alive and then the band just it just climaxes with the band going Bang! you know yeah. and it, it and i think that is one of the coolest part about this song is all the way it ebbs and flows it it it's mm. constantly um building to a climax and then sort of stopping and then yeah building yeah. again and it, it comes back down you know what you can see it yeah. from the beginning, and then all of a sudden, the verse starts, and it's basically just power chords. And yeah. I mean, even the vocal starts with a whisper, right? Yeah. It, yeah. And then it just all of a sudden, boom! It hammers you again. So it's just constantly ebbing and flowing. I think this is really yeah. a song that um, is overlooked by some, including myself, at just how masterfully it handles dynamics. Um, yeah, and that's. That's pretty impressive considering like the rest of the albums. There's not a whole lot of room for dynamics. It's just 
like riff intensity is the dynamic. You know, it's yeah. there might be a slower part or a faster one or adding guitar solo over the top. But as far as like a few riffs next to each other, it's not going to be a nice quiet part that builds up and then goes. You know, it's yeah, it's kind of the this uh, yeah, I guess just intensity is the word for it. But this, I agree, it's got all kinds of layering and subtlety to it. I think this is one of the uh, I'm trying to think of not the earliest song, but it's an early one that they get really into the dynamics of. You know, Un- Unforgiven is yeah. another great example of that, where it's like yeah, 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 very soft and subtle, and everything is like quietly, gently placed where it needs to be, and built on from there. And it, it like you said, it's just a up and down festival <laughs> of dynamics. Yeah. And I and I agree with that, but I think the difference is is like the dynamics in Unforgiven are more obvious because yeah. you have like uh you know the soft clean introduction the heavy distorted verse and it goes into the more melodic softer chorus and yep. but there's no real like uh other than arguably the sitar introduction there's no real like quote soft part to this song right and i yeah. think it's one of the one of the one of the first times is not the first times where you really hear them start playing around with like heavy distorted dynamics. And I, I, this is to me too. uh, um, I remember when I talked about uh, Sabbath true uh, and one of the takeaways from research was James was talking about, you know, we, instead of having everything go nonstop, we wanted to give uh, a room to breathe. And so in Sabbath true, you have like, the pause, right? The infamous pause. Oh, yeah, yeah. But not the infamous, the famous pause. I always want to use the word infamous. infamous people always yeah, call me yeah. out on it. and the no- It's become a running joke. Pause. It's become yeah. a running joke I, in a yeah. Black Summer. I mean, yeah. You make one typo, and then you keep saying it, and it just sticks. And from now on, everybody just calls me infamous Brandon, and I hate it. I'm not going to take it anymore. It's a, pretty, it's a pretty good nickname. It's not shithead Brandon. I mean, there's worse <laughs> nicknames out there. It's, that's, that's all right. That's okay. Uh, it's funny what you say though with like the the air and breathing because kind of just the general whenever I listen the images I think of are like kind of like a drifter like someone on the road like yeah. really on the road someone yeah, yeah. you know on trains and in the back of trucks and like kind of just drifting through towns especially in the Midwest where it's like just all open and the the song just gives that imagery where there's so much air and you can just see like the sound waves resonating for miles and there's nothing around kind of thing yeah i think yeah, it's yeah. really effective like the pairing of the lyrics and that dynamic space of air and and uh slow pauses and stuff like that really adds I, to that imagery that's a really good point you know and i i don't and when you say it like that it makes you wonder i don't think it's a coincidence when you know when the music breathes a little bit it builds up and then it's just sort of like power chords for the beginning of the verse but that's allowing the vocal and the lyric to breathe a little bit more. And so I think what you're saying makes perfect sense. Yeah. And maybe it's just one of those happy coincidences. Maybe we're reading too much yeah. into it. Or maybe it was very intentional. But, you know, it, it definitely uh, lets those lyrics ring. And it definitely mm-hmm. makes it feel like a little bit more like open air, right? You're on the road and yeah, uh, just, yeah, just heading into the unknown. Yeah, yelling off the top of a mountain, you know, just, and the road becomes mine. <clears throat> it hits yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and just rings like someone yelled out into the wilderness, you know. Yeah, and I, 
I definitely wanted to talk about the lyrics of the song because um, mm. these are some of my favorite from Hatfield, I think, because yeah, I, it, you know, I if I take a, I'll I'll use "Turn the Page" as an example because it's a road song. It's a song Metallica covered. It's a yeah. great song. I love the Bob Seger version. I love the Metallica yep. version. The there's no there's no way you can really read into the lyrics of Turn the Page other than uh, what yeah. they say, right? They're not, yeah. it, it's, it's not subtle, you know? No, it's a, it's it, a diary it, entry, you know? It's, it's a day yeah. in the life of a road musician. It's just literally, yeah. this is what I did, this is why how it feels, that's that, you know, which is great. It's very intimate, yeah. but it's, it is, it is very, this is the only thing, you know? And it fits the, and it fits like the songwriting and the persona of somebody like Bob Seger who wrote the song, you know? Sure. But what I love about Where I May Roam is that I feel like you could read the lyrics and it has you could totally overthink this and interpret it in a much deeper way rather than yeah. like, I know when I first heard the song and uh, I remember being young um, and kind of like at the age where I first started focusing on lyrics more and kind of trying to figure out what songs were about. I, mm-hmm. I had this whole deep uh, version of it where, well, you know, you're, you die and your soul carries yeah. on in some capacity and that's basically what he's saying you know like carved upon my stone my body live but still i roam but then you ask him what it's about it's like oh, it's just something about being on the road and then you reread yeah. the lyrics and you're like yeah fucking duh <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but la- la- there's later another on, layer to yeah. it there's another layer yeah to it. well it's, i i've gone through this a couple of times myself where it's like at, towards the end uh and my ties are severed clean the less i have the more i gain off the beaten path i ran it's like yeah, it could be about just getting rid of your shit, but also if your body's your shit, then like it makes sense too. Like everything's severed and you gain more out of it. Like yeah, there's yeah. a lot of ambiguity, which is cool. I like that. You can speculate yeah. about it and think more. It's a yeah, deeper I, I, experience. Yeah. I love lyrics like that. I think that's what Hatfield yeah, does well, especially starting on this album, um, when he started getting a little bit more personal and more insular with what he was writing. Yeah. Um and you know, and, and when you look down, and when you look at the lyrics too, there's even when you just look at them as like a basic uh, love to the road type song, there's still deeper meanings. Like in the road becomes my bride, I've stripped of all but pride. So in her I do confide, and she keeps me satisfied. So now you're relating it to like a sexual romantic relationship, like saying that there's like an but there's an intimacy there in what they're doing, right? Like, yeah, you know, like it. Or, um, and then the previous line that I mentioned, you know, carved upon my stone, my body lie by still I roam. You can interpret that like, all right, well, they're, they're such road dogs that even when his body's in the ground, they're going to, you know, they're going to keep going. They're going to keep trucking or, yeah. or, you know, his, or what they've accomplished will live on, uh, musically and, uh, concert wise, you know, like the, I, I like that there's layers and different ways you can read too much into it. And I say too much into it because I'm sure if um, James Hatfield was here, he's like, you guys are all idiots. I, it's just about being on the yeah. road. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He was like, I was drunk and I was driving on a, riding on a bus. And this is what came out. I don't know. I tried to write a poem like Shakespeare. It's like kept with a rhyme scheme and here we are. <laughs> like, all right. But when you said, but I'll take my time anywhere, free to speak my mind anywhere. What do you mean? <laughs> That's a good uh, impression of me when I talk about Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good impression of anyone who talks about Metallica. So oh, we yeah. can't all be cool Megadeth fans, bro. 
I talk about Metallica too, man. I, <laughs> I know, I know you do. <laughs> Mainly when you talk to me, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah pretty, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Greg, Metallica's a new song. Isn't it the greatest thing ever? You're like, um, <laughs> let me listen to it. You're like, oh, yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. cool. I'm like, oh, but but tell me how cool it was. <laughs> You're like, no, it was, it was a cool track. I'm into it. I'm like... But tell me how much. <laughs> <laughs> how define the ways it changed your life? <laughs> uh, it, I listened to it for three and a half minutes. That was good. That was a way that it took time. Now, when you say uh, you listen like to it. it, do you mean you had a three and a half minute orgasm? Nope, that's just me. Okay. <laughs> and then, well, and then usually I have to just agree to get moving on with the conversation. Like, yes, yes, I did. I. I did. I moved on from it, and now we can find a different thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yep, yep, I renamed Chris Broadwick James Hetfield. <laughs> yep, I renamed yes, my dog. Yes. Okay, are you my happy? Dog is, my dog is now James Hetfield, and tomorrow will be <laughs> Lars Ulrich. I've got a, on a rotating cast. <laughs> so, and on Wednesdays, they're Hetfield Ulrich. <laughs> yep, Hetfield Ulrich. They share custody on Wednesdays, and uh, um, the solo at the end. Solo. Well, that, the whole, I, well, let's talk about the ending in general. I mean, I feel like this is such a, you know, when you listen to a song like one, right? Yeah. It, it like builds up to like this tornado ending. It's just like a whirlwind. Yeah. And wherever I may roam somehow manages to do the same thing, just in a different approach. And yeah. when you hear like the last moments there, uh, it uh, to me it sounds like a whirlwind. Especially if you hear the S and M version with the strings weaving in and out and the horns mm -hmm. and everything else, it yeah. just sounds like beautiful chaos. And yeah. um, you have Kirk just soloing his ass off in the background. Yeah, it, yeah. It, the song fades out. Um, I had some people mention that they never heard the unedited version of the solo where uh without the fade out well guess what motherfuckers this guy found it such a great yeah, so. um ending too and james is repeatedly you know saying wherever i may roam yeah and then he has that uh that classic part where it, it varies and it's a great live yeah. moment where he goes wherever i may wander the crowd goes wander, yeah. Wander, wander. yeah oh yeah 
Well, it's like, you know, this is like, it could be like a perfect closing song too, because it's got that ending that it sounds like a live version where it probably, you know, say you saw it live for the first time. You're like, oh, this song ended like a minute and a half ago, but they just keep going again and again. It keeps building more and more yeah. with like uh, Kirk just wailing over the top. So it's got that, it always feels like a live ending to me as their as the studio song is finishing right yeah yeah but it's cool it's yeah it's very it's kind of like um uh paradise city uh yeah. guns and roses because yeah, yeah, it's like the same thing like slash is just wailing for like two and a half minutes straight and it's yeah. just kind of like all right we're gonna play this until we're sick of it and fade it out and <laughs> <laughs> well and i <laughs> think i think part of the reason why it might have such a live feel too is that whole last solo is all improvised None yeah, of it was yeah. like planned out, so it's just off yeah. the cuff. So, which I think yeah. adds to the live feel because it feels a little bit looser. It doesn't yeah. feel, um, it doesn't feel like it was orchestrated and coached, yeah. and it just happened. Um, yeah. Which adds to the whole feeling of it too. Well, it's, Kirk's kind of a cool case study <laughs> in guitar because, like, I've read some things about him where he'll he's varied ways of going about solos. Like sometimes. You know, if there's a very musical part of a certain solo like Dyer's Eve, there's a couple yeah. like segments in that that are very specific and very, you know, constructed sounding. But he'll do like X amount of measures, you know, with this kind of idea of scales running up or something like that, but nothing <clears throat> nailed down. Then it'll be that one specific part and then total improv for another few bars. And he's got like yeah. this weird grid pattern layout sometimes i'm sure sometimes are like that one just total improvised and other ones are maybe a little more constructed i think um ride the lightning i read he was reading uh listening to a ton of ingbe momstein so it's yeah. just like you know he's all over the fretboard on that it's yeah, yeah amazing like he's crazy but i'm sure those are much more constructed than just seat your pants improvisation but yeah if you if you listen to if you read interviews from him, it seems generally um, in the, you know, the earlier records, the, his souls were typically more constructed and composed and thought out. Yeah. And he would kind of have it all mapped out on a piece of paper, you know, and yeah. whatever way made sense to him. And, um, and but it's funny because now on Hardwire Self-Destruct, every single one of the souls were improvised. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they're, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there were multiple takes, but all the general oh, course, ideas yeah, were yeah. were improvised. So, you know, he yeah. he's just. I think he part of it's just he's uh, developed more as a player, but two, he just no longer like sitting down and composing a solo. Like he's like, I've been there, I've done that, I've done this long enough that I can, yeah, you know, trust my instincts a little bit more and just go in and do it. Um, yeah, I. But it's funny you mentioned it because I, uh, in the last part when we were talking about the Unforgiven, Brian, who I had on, we talked a lot about the soul section um, mm -hmm. because there's it, the the story goes that and there's uh, that Kirk was basically I came in with all these licks and all these ideas and I played yeah. it and it did not work and Bob <laughs> yeah. Rock and there's video of this from a year and a half of and Bob Rock just keeps like pushing and be like oh no you're the fucking guitar player here oh show impress me like oh you didn't do your home you know just like pushing and pushing <laughs> yeah. and pushing yeah. him and he's like all right give me the guitar player of the year solo and then you 
hear Kirk Hammett play the solo that's on the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like one of their most legendary emotional solos that he has. It's like, <laughs> yeah. fucking awesome. Like, yeah, impress us, surfer boy. <laughs> cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, guess how many times this song has been played live by Metallica. And to give you some context, um, Inter Sandman and Sabatru have, I forget the exact number, but I can tell you it's about 1,300. All right. Well, I, I feel like this is one of those songs where it was a single and it's a, probably a killer live song, but they just didn't end up playing it much. So I'm going to say 12 times. <laughs> <laughs> since 1991 12, to- 12 times like, two more than 10 uh, I'm going to say this one is let's do let's go I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go against my gut and say more than Sandman and I'm going to say 1400 uh, and 51. Uh, you were way wrong. It's actually 1,447. Fuck. Fuck. No, it was, rec- it was performed way less than it was performed live. This is a, so I always say this, but it's always worth mentioning if you're a nerd like me, if you go to Metallica.com, uh, you can go to the song section, every single song they've ever done, including the covers that have been B-sides or just, um, I think they even have covers that were never even formally released on a record, but they might have done it like the Bridge School Benefit and stuff and end yeah. up on like a bootleg record or something like that. But anyways, they have the, they have all the information. So they have the lyrics. They have, um, you know, if there was a music video, there's a music video. They have live footage if, it was, if there's live footage. They have all the stats of like how many times songs were performed live, yada, yada, yada. So wherever May Rome has been performed live 793 times. So I was almost twice as wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, you know, there's. <laughs> so if you said what you said, but cut it in almost half. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Inter Salmon and Sabatru and Nothing Else Matters are kind of the three from this record that always yeah. get played. Um, wherever my Rome rotates in and out of the set list a little bit more. Um <laughs> Still, you know, is a frequent go-to, but it's not a it's not a guarantee by any means. Whereas, yeah. there's no way you're singing a metallic show and not hearing one master, Sandman, yeah. and nothing else matters. Like you're yeah. you're just always hearing those songs. This one gets uh, uh, rotated in and out a little bit more. Can Can you look up quickly uh, how many times they play mechanics? <laughs> <laughs> mechanics. So uh, I, even though you're joking, <laughs> I'm going to go to Metallica.com. I'm typing it right now. I bet it's on there. You can hear it's the keyboard typing. Like I'm going to see if that song. Forty-eight listed. times and yeah, it's going to be forty-eight times in 1983, and then it's never again <laughs> after that. <laughs> let's see, music, songs, and lyrics. Let's see. I'm willing to bet that it's actually listed, but we'll see. It probably is, know. yeah. Because I mean, they have songs on there that were a part of their live set that they've never actually recorded. Um, they do have it, the mechanics. I'm clicking on it now. <laughs> uh, 
Dave Mustaine so, lives in Metallica history forever. The Mechanics, written by Heffield Auric Mustaine. It even has mm-hmm. the lyrics to the song. Mm-hmm. So even have though you we're read not, even, have you so read even, through those? They are they are a saucy account of getting gas so, at a gas station. <laughs> it is even though this has nothing stuff. to do with anything that we're talking about. I'm going to read through these lyrics. Well, this in reality, this is. A preview of Corpse Paint Podcast. This is what we do. Just go off the rails almost instantly <laughs> and talk about anything metal, even though it's a black metal podcast. But yeah, go ahead. I, I know this lyrics. is hard. I know this is hard to believe for people listening, but uh, a lot of this podcast was thought out beforehand, at least when it came time to talk about <laughs> wherever may roam. Yeah. When we do Corpse Paint Podcast, I do not plan a damn thing. Yeah. So it ends up being this, what you're hearing now. Yeah. Um, and the... The last time I re- planned to do something, I regretted it instantly. So we'll, we'll see how that goes in the future. It's probably going to be pretty freeform. But. So here are the lyrics to The Mechanics, written by David Mustaine. Imagine you were at my station, and you brought your motor to me. You're a burner, a real motor car. You said you want to get your order filled. It made me shiver when I put it in. Pumping just won't do. And luckily for you, <laughs> whoever thought you'd better at turning a screw than me, I do it for my life. <laughs> you made my drive shafts crank. You made my pistons bulge. <laughs> you made my ball bearings melt from the heat. <laughs> These are way better the, than the four horsemen. Way better. Do you do you think the motor is for a car or somebody's butt? Because <laughs> I don't know. See all of the above. Well, this no, okay, this does tie in because we're talking about ambiguous lyrics with wherever I may roam, and <laughs> it is very ambiguous whether this is a description of a sex scene at in or around a gas station or just how a gas station operates. We don't we don't know or auto body whatever. Greg, you did a great job so. of connecting this, and I'm hereby. Giving the title of podcast professional. Congratulations. Oh my god, I finally did it. I finally did it. Don't do anything to fuck it up now. You know, I'm, I am trying really hard to not totally sink this ship. Because <laughs> Corpse Paint is already underneath the... It's a submarine now. But I'm trying to <laughs> trying to help keep Metallicast alive, at least. I'm doing so my best. the second verse is... We were shifting gears hard when we took off. Pushing hard all four on the floor. Then we hit top end, but it feels so slow. You said you want to get your order filled. It made me shiver when I put it in. Pumping just won't do, and luckily for you. Then the chorus repeats. Whoever thought you'd yeah. better at turning a screw than me, I do it for my life. You drive my, uh, you made my drive shafts crank. You made my pistons bulge. You made my ball bearings melt from the heat. <laughs> Last verse. Yes. Oh, there's more, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> I'm giving you my full service. And you know it's more than enough. Your engine sparks my plug. You know that I'm in love. Imagine you were at my station and you brought your motor to me. Put four on the floor. You know what's in store. <laughs> and then the chorus repeats again. Oh the sad God, part is, that. this is like, um, I no longer have to imagine... Weird Al Yankovic doing a parody of the Four Horsemen because Dave Mustaine <laughs> did it for us. Imagine you were at my station and you brought your yep. motor to me. You're burning a real yep. motor car. 
You said you want to get your order filled. Maybe shiver when I put it in. Probably just won't do it luckily for you. Whoever not you better. Antonio, screw that me. I do it for my life. You made my drop shaft crank. You made my pistons bulge. Made my ball bearings down from my head. <laughs> I have no clue why good. when Dave Mustaine good. got fired, uh, James Hatfield immediately rewrote the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um to something way more um, non-sexual um, and way more metal. I'll just never understand it. I don't either. I mean, I do like both versions. Four Horsemen is just an awesome early metal song, and yeah. Mechanics is a goofy, sped-up bullshit <laughs> that it makes me laugh, and it's fun, and it's still technically metal. It, I like it, whatever. It's funny I love because... That, that, that's got to be the song when... The Megadeth behind the music, Dave's talking about like they got kicked out of Megadeth uh, Metallica, and I was like, I went to David Ellis, and was like, we're gonna do everything 20 BPM faster. And it's like, you know, you're gonna do the literal <laughs> same <laughs> song, yeah, <laughs> same song faster. You're gonna play Kill 'Em All, but just faster. That's all. Okay. Um. So the music video for I May Roam, uh, you know, every song off the Black Album had heavy rotation mtv um this one pretty straightforward but it's a a collection of live clips um it was directed by wayne isham who's a famous music video director he's done a bunch of um, especially uh rock videos uh back in the day Uh, but uh, what i do like is the the clips are just edited perfectly to match the music so you know at the start it's like the, you have, you know, slower uh, framed pictures and then yeah. I mean, builds it's up such and a just, perfect it just matches. Yeah. It just, yeah. it, the way it's edited just matches up perfectly um, in a way that it, it, it's, de- it's funny because in a way it's like a little bit dated because no, you, I mean, how often do you see like these big uh, edited rock concert videos? Never anymore. Yeah. But, um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But that's sort of like the beauty of it, too. You know, sort of like a uh, a flashback, if you will. It makes yeah. me a little bit nostalgic for the good old days when it was just a regular oh, yeah. thing that rock yeah. was all over the place. Oh, yeah. The, bay, the rock and roll heydays. <laughs> uh, it makes you miss Motley Crue, doesn't it? Oh, <laughs> girls, girls, girls a-holes and makeup trying to get <laughs> girls backstage it was like that's what i love about like hair metal bands it's like a giant elaborate ruse just to like hook up with six girls <laughs> like, that's, i mean it's cool if that's what you're into cool but this is know. going to be the last yeah. time i mentioned dave mustaine this episode <laughs> but it's not, it's not. <laughs> but there's a there's an old uh scene from it might have been from megadeth behind the music and he goes, yeah, and what does glam stand for? Gay LA music. <laughs> yeah, like, so snarky. You hear the sass on that one? <laughs> so uh, every week I've been asking those of you in the Telecast Militia, your opinions on the songs we are covering. Um, so I've sent, I always send out feelers on Facebook and I always send out feelers on Twitter. Uh, there's this new app, Greg, that I'm trying out. Um, 
might be something we want to consider down the road for Course Pay Podcast, depending on yeah. how this app takes off, depending on how that show takes off. But it's for those of you who are part of the group, good for you. For those of you not part of the group, you need to join. The app is called Flick Chat, and basically it's a uh, a social media app for podcasts. And it basically reads as like a old school fan forum. Uh, you can create topics and have good conversation. We had a lot of good conversation this week about um, the ticket scandal news. We had a lot of good conversation about mm. this song, Wherever May Roam. Uh, and as always, I want to read some of what was shared. Uh, so Paul on FlickChat writes, uh, and by the way, I only got responses on FlickChat this week. So the group is growing. People are using it more. Um, but Paul writes, great song. The video also kicks ass. One thing I do remember about the song is the Afro guy on a year and a half of the life of. Um, so <laughs> I was trying to think of what he was referring to. And so I wrote, the Afro guy, are you referring to the guy who brings the porn in the studio? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the good old days. Oh, but then yeah. he reminded me that it's actually uh, they show when the records release and they're interviewing like all these like dumb metalheads. <laughs> there's this like awesome like um, I'll say black. He might be Hispanic, but he's not white, and he has a full <laughs> afro. He's wearing a Metallica T-shirt, and he's like, "Yeah, I really like um, wherever we roam because after you die, hopefully you." Like, go on. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing here. But again, it like matches what we were stoner, talking about, the lyrics. Yeah. yeah. Biggest stoner response ever. Like, I don't really know whatever happens. I think we'll be part of it. And maybe we'll get there. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> um, one of my favorite listeners is uh, a man who does listen to the Course Fame podcast. Ralph Frank? Acevedo. Besides, no, we is got the, Frank. Is our and, one fan Frank? <laughs> Frank, are you out there? Frank's too cool for Metallica. He told me. Oh, that's yeah. He's he's too underground. He's he's, he's a yeah. he's a true. He's if yeah, if he's all if true. The band does he's, not worship Satan. He wants something to do with them. Yeah, he's got a skull piece necklace that is original from Norway. So what? We can't yeah. fuck with him. He'll get you. He'll uh, get the you. Black Album actually gave Frank a little bit of hope when they released The God That Failed, and he was so disappointed to hear it's actually just about Christian scientists and not about Satan. Yeah. No. It's a shame. No. But uh, Ralph M. Savetto wrote, so we start off with the cool sitar bit at the beginning, which was definitely something new for Metallica. Oh, so is that a gong that kicks off the song initially? Dig the slow builds on the verse section and how the pace picks up during the chorus. Jason's bass sounds fantastic rumbling beneath the uh, beneath the guitars. Of course, it gets a lot more time to shine this record as a whole after being drowned out on Injustice for All. James's lyrics about being a road dog and traveling around the world are quite clever. His vocals are well done. Lars's drumming is on point. Yes, he even used to win awards for it, folks. And Kirk's soloing is excellent, especially on the outro solo. Always want to hear what he did after the tune fades out. Well, now you have, Ralph. I played it for you. Mm-hmm. You know, Sorry, I'm, I'm pretty glad that you didn't read Ralph's first because he's been a better guest in that 30 <laughs> seconds than I have. So, no joke. Ralph always gives the best responses. He, and he I, goes on, yeah. he goes on. I see him all over Twitter. Yeah. He, he yeah. crushes it. He's awesome. One can clearly see why Rome was a single back in the day as it's a standout on the album. Love hearing it live too was treated to a stellar edition on the current tour. 
FYI, it was in Cleveland on February 1st of this year. Um, Tommy Trink. I got a beef with this listener. Um, he left me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and basically was like, love the podcast, even though it does not have the production values of other Metallica podcasts. <laughs> so now I call him Tommy Production Values Trink. Yep. Um, Tommy High Class Ho Trink. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to sort of paraphrase his messages, but he wrote, I'm not sure what else I can add over Ralph's usual eloquence, because um, everybody loves Ralph. Uh, because the fade out in particular is well utilized there, whereas live is just not something they can do. I do feel like it was one of the songs in SNM which benefited the most from the symphonic treatment, besides maybe Bells or Devil's Dance. Um, Joshua Sullivan writes, Monsters of Rock 91 is the perfect embodiment of everything Rome. Anytime I hear it, I almost always get that picture of James looking out at the continent of people. And Kevin writes, Rome epitomizes a Metallica ethos of independence and freedom. Rome is one of the many Metallica songs where I feel like it was uh, like it was a Metallica song written for me. So the Metallica has Militia coming out in full force on FlickChat. You yeah. can download the app for free. Uh, enter the code Metallica. I've also found I've been... So I guess the app officially launches in September. Um, I somehow stumbled upon it and have been using it. And I actually was uh, going back and forth with somebody from FlickChat this week. So I now have a direct link, which I sent out on Facebook and Twitter and will continue to send out. So if you do not want to go through the trouble of searching for yourself, it will be on there. Um, And of course, you can always find me on social media, which I'll plug in a moment. But Greg. Where yeah. can they find you on social media? Social media. I'm gonna. I'm about to change my Twitter anyway, so I'm not gonna plug that. But you can find me through the Corpse Paint Podcast. So that's Which where is, we at. The, the CP. At, yep. Wait, wait, be a podcast professional. No. be a podcast professional and uh, know your own uh, podcast information. It is hey, at. Well, <laughs> It is I'm about to firebomb my personal one, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to plug it. I'm not going to drive people to a place that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it is at the CP Podcast 666. Uh, join Greg and I. We have a we have a lot of shenanigans on our show. Um, if yeah, you're keep a fan, it, keep it fun. You know, at yeah. least last week we just came out with one. I get a little cranky on it, but I'm going to try to turn those tides in the future because. <laughs> I don't know if my blood pressure can handle it, but it was a lot of fun. We had a blast on that. We just talked metal. It ends up being kind of like this, pretty casual, but focusing on our favorites, you know, a little, some of our favorite music, a little more extreme bent to it. And yeah. uh, yeah. Yeah. And we we play drinking games or a drinking game. Um, So download, subscribe, leave a positive review. You can find it on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google, pretty much anywhere you get your podcast. Um, again, it's called the Corpse Paint Podcast. Um, anywhere you find Metallicast, you can find that as well. Uh, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I am at MetallicastPod. Download FlickChat. Like I said, you can also contribute. I'm try- just trying to come up with as many ways as possible uh, for people who want to contribute. Uh, make it easy for you. You can email the show, Metallicast at fansonexperts.com. You can leave a voicemail at 203-548-0609. It's a Google number, so you can just call from your desktop. 
from your phone, kind of wherever you want. Um, I think we did it, Greg. I think we did. I think we, we you know, did it. I feel strange because we made it successfully through an episode, and it feels like it's complete. <laughs> we had, <laughs> we had a, relevant ideas to share, some little tangents, but we really, uh, we really pretty much stayed on point. And you know what, Greg? I don't, I don't know. I feel what, very weird. This is what happens when we yeah. only drink water during a podcast. I know. Yeah, I am super hydrated right now and not fuzzy at all. And. When we start breaking out the blackened whiskey and the double IPAs, things go off the rails quickly. Who would who would would guess that? I mean, who would know? Who would know that would happen? No No one, no one at all. At the time, (laughs) you forgot to start recording after we took a break for a second, and then we had to re-record the second half to something. But no one has to know about that. Say. Like I yeah. always say, I am a podcast professional. Yeah. It, it totally reminded me of the scene in Metalocalypse where they're like in the submarine recording like, you know, 15 hours and they're like, oh, that was it. That was the perfect take. And Pickles is like, <laughs> okay, so like you guys are totally going to kill me, but I forgot to press record. But the good news is I'm sorry. <laughs> Just like, you son of a bitch, you pickled me. Is this the fact I <laughs> to tell you I've not recorded a damn thing? <laughs> I, I i believe it i completely believe it yeah um, yeah this has been cool uh, uh thanks for having me dude i uh of course i would i would say you're welcome and, back anytime but i don't want to lie to you so i yeah i don't want to come back so i was trying to be <laughs> uh, just yeah, whatever you do if, if you take if you have um a takeaway from this episode it's that wherever may roam is a classic track off a classic album and course paint podcast is a mediocre but fun show that you need to check out and we are greg, extremely I... extremely mediocre <laughs> <laughs> greg i always end metallicast with a, a cover so i want to end with a cover of wherever i may roam i found this version on YouTube, it's off a album called Dark Orient that was released in 2017. It's by a band, uh, I'm going to pronounce it Saratan, S-A-R-A-T-A-N. Apparently they're from Poland, but the name is Arabic. Uh, the mm-hmm. band's logo is like Arabic writing. So obviously some Arabic heritage there, despite being from Poland. Uh, but this is them covering wherever may roam. I think it's a cool arrangement. Um, you're going to hear some different instrumentation, some, uh, they get a, they, I, I like a cover that, you know, goes in different directions. Um, and this one does while staying true to, uh, the original. Till next time, ladies and gentlemen, metal up your ass. Yeah.
Fabs not experts.